Dear congregation, I invite you to turn in God's holy word to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll begin reading at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 11. Hebrews chapter 12, page 1383 in our pew Bibles. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. May he also bless the exposition of it. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we turn to Hebrews chapter 12, we recognize that illustration that the author to Hebrews is using there as he brings us into that cloud of witnesses that he has set before us in chapter 11, those witnesses of faith. And he calls us to run the race set before us with endurance, with endurance. And really that word endurance is key to the passage already beginning in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, we are reminded of several months, a couple months ago probably already, that there we have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus in verse 19. By that new and living way that He has consecrated for us. That we have this priest over the house of God. And there He calls us in verse 22 to draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then he goes on in verse 35 to 
to say to us, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. There he's talking about receiving the substance of what has been promised. And there in Hebrews chapter 11, that substance of the things that we are hoped for and the evidence of things not seen is evident in all of the saints that were found in the Old Testament. And there they looked forward, even though they couldn't see it, and they believed this substance and they pressed on with endurance. And that's what made them part of the cloud of witnesses. And those clouds of witnesses can encourage us on in that race of faith, but none greater than the Lord Jesus Christ who ran with perfect endurance. And He is the source of that endurance. And that's where we come as we enter into and continue on in this passage in Hebrews chapter 12. As we think about the need to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, then we recognize that He is the one who can help us in all of our challenges, in all of our trials, to run with endurance. And the reality of the Christian life is is that it's not an easy life. And it's not an easy race. And there will be great challenges, great trials. And that's why we're called to lay aside every weight that would beset us. We ought not to see the Christian life as some glamorous, luxurious, easy life. But one that will be filled with challenges and trials. And as we recognize that, that is how God calls us to leave those weights behind. And I would, I would suggest in the years that I've been a pastor or dealing with church members in way of being on consistory or being in seminary or being a pastor, the challenges, even in my own life, often deal with sin and the consequences of sin. And what needs to happen is our affections need to be broken so that those weights are cast off and they're only broken through gospel truths. Other times those challenges and trials are just a result of the difficulty of the Christian life. And there again, in this training ground, we need to be reminded of the first principles of the Gospel and what it means to be a Christian. By asking ourselves, who is God? Who is He? And who am I as a human? And what do I deserve? And who is Jesus? And what is God doing in my life, in all circumstances of my life, by His grace? We need to enter those questions, as it were, in those first principles to understand how 
we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And the reality that will come out of it is that we are all in need of discipline and of testing. As a matter of fact, this passage as we enter into it, even though it's a challenging one, it really is the light and shows forth the light of the gospel and those first principles of what it means to be a Christian as a light shines from a lighthouse. And I would imagine if you went to see a lighthouse on a nice, bright, sunny day, that lighthouse would not have the same effect on you. You wouldn't even really notice the light that's shining. You might see the lighthouse and admire it for its architectural beauty, but you won't be blessed by that lighthouse in a saving way. But, if you see that lighthouse at night, and that light piercing through the darkness, showing your way when you can't find your way, it has a great blessing. Probably even to your salvation. The saving of your human life. Or if that lighthouse is shining against the backdrop of a huge storm that's come upon you and you're trying to navigate your way back to land, then that lighthouse will be a true blessing to you. And so also, this passage in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 we find there that faith is exercised, it's trained, it's tested. And that takes true discipline. I'd like to look at this with the theme, faith exercised. And we'll see that with two thoughts. It's exercised, first of all, through fatherly discipline. And secondly, for our spiritual profit. First of all, then, faith is exercised through fatherly discipline. Notice verse 3 again. For consider Him, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that would, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. He, consider Him, who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. A Christian life isn't easy, and it's so quickly that Christians can become weary and discouraged, but we are called to consider Jesus, the one who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself. Consider Him. And consider how you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and have even forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. And notice there, this fatherly care and this fatherly concern for his children. And the first concern is that the concern that his children would be running the race that's set before them. Looking to Jesus. And that's why he calls us to consider Jesus. He's not just saying, you should really take consideration of what Jesus all went through. 
But no, he's saying, you need to see him as a model. You need to continually look to him for encouragement in all of your trials. Because he's the one who shows us how to endure. And so the Father's care for us is in the race. And he calls us to consider the Lord Jesus Christ who himself left glory to come to dwell among us. And as he dwelt among us, he was tempted by Satan. Just as we are tempted. Assaulted by Satan even. He's arrested by sinners. Put on trial by sinners. He's crucified by the very hands He created. By the very people He gave authority to. Consider Him who was persecuted. Even into death. And as you run the race in all of the trials of life, look to Jesus. The Father's concern is that we would keep our eyes fixed on Him for endurance. But the Father, Father's care is also for His children in the midst of persecution. He does care for us in the midst of persecution. Even though it's painful, even though it's uncomfortable, even though it's a great challenge, we can know our Father has cared about us even in the midst of persecution. That's why, that's why we read, don't we? You have not yet resisted to bloodshed. You know, for some people, it doesn't take a whole lot of pain to get their attention. It doesn't take a whole lot of hostility from someone else or the world to, feel, to make them feel like they're persecuted. But here, in, to those whom the author of Hebrews is writing, very likely there were great persecutions upon them. Even death for naming the name of Jesus Christ. Many were beaten, imprisoned, separated from their families, and even martyred for His name's sake. And even though there are places in this world right now that Christians endure such persecution, the reality is that maybe even as some who read this, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed. You have not yet become a martyr. You have not yet endured that kind of Affliction, and yet God cares for you and wants to prepare you for such affliction and such trial. And we ought not to shy away from it, but be prepared for it. And that's our Father's concern. Our Heavenly Father cares for us so much, and His concern for us is so great. And he realizes that persecution is often used for the church's good. That he wants to prepare us to, by looking to Jesus to show us how we can endure such persecution. Consider him and his persecution. And consider what it means to be a Christian. Consider the cost of what it is to be a Christian. To bear the very marks of Christ and be willing to resist even 
unto death itself. That's our Father's concern for us. He wants us to be prepared for such persecution. And maybe He prepares us sometimes by granting us a sense of that persecution in hostility from the world. Maybe it's only in words. Maybe it's only in actions in certain ways. That doesn't really lead to bloodshed. But let us never take for granted that we don't endure such persecution today because we are certain, are certain to see it again. Maybe it's not only Maybe it's not here, but in various places of the world. We need to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Finally, the Father's concern is not only in the way of persecution, but it's also a concern about the influence of sin. And He calls us to strive against sin. You have not yet resisted unto bloodshed, striving even against sin. And there he's using a word that would take us to a combat, a struggle, a, a conflict. Sin and the influence of sin should create in us a warfare against sin. Because the temptation is to avoid persecution The temptation would be to abandon our faith in the midst of persecution and the midst of challenges. And that would be to submit to sin. And so God is calling us day by day to lay aside all of those weights, those weights of sin, and press on looking to Jesus and running that race free of sin. The Father's care for us is that we are prepared for the influences of sin and resist it knowing how offensive it is to our Heavenly Father. And to be prepared to be strong in the face of temptation and in the face of persecution. That's our Father's care for us. Because He's concerned about the influences of sin. Fathers, I trust you too are concerned about the influences of sin in your families and in your children's lives. Right? Your 10-year-old might not yet have technology at their disposal, like a phone. But are you preparing that 10-year-old To be able to hold that phone is inevitably they'll have one. And to be able to resist the temptations that are out there on social media and on the internet, such as pornography, are we preparing? That's what a good father does. Maybe you're 15-year-old. I trust he or she hasn't moved out of the house yet. But are you preparing that 15-year-old one day to be living on his or her own? 
when you don't have control over everything in your household? Are you teaching them to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith, so that they can endure temptations in the midst of those challenges of peer pressure and a life where they're not fully accountable to you? Are you teaching them to have a disciplined life of devotion to God, of church life? Is that your concern for your children? Well, our Father has a, Heavenly Father has the same concern. He has a concern of the influence of sin, and He calls us to strive against it because He loves us. We don't only see the Father's concern, but we see the Father's love. That's why he says, this exhortation which speaks to you is to sons. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. Here he's quoting Proverbs 3, verse 11 through 12. Showing that indeed discipline is a sign of sonship. And that God is discipling His children. Training them in love. It all flows out of love. He trains them. As a parent trains up their children. You as parents, send your children to school. In our context, we spend a great deal of money even to have them go to be educated in a Christian manner. Because you care for them. You want to train them in love. But God also trains us as His sons and daughters, as true Christians. And He's preparing us for that age of maturity when we come and enter into those heavenly mansions. That's what He's training us for. And so these trials are designed to make us stronger. Isn't that what a trial does in training? When you go to lift lift weights or you go to, to, to prepare for, for, for that run and you're lifting weights and you're pressing and you're doing leg exercises and so on, you put resistance there so, so those muscles get stronger. And by applying such force against the muscle, they do get stronger and they will propel you on causing endurance in the race. So it is in faith. God, through trials, is testing and straining the muscle of faith in our hearts so that we would endure in the midst of challenges for our spiritual welfare. It's training. It's, it's chastisement even, our text says. Sometimes God does come to chastise us in Punish us even for sins in our life. Not, not, to, not to pay the price of sin. No, Jesus has done that. But to correct us. 
He gives us, as it were, heavenly spankings. He doesn't spare the rod for His children. He doesn't spoil the children in His kingdom. He doesn't. Many Christians, even church members, have come to me and testified of how God's chastening has so drawn them close to the Lord Jesus Christ and close to God that they almost wish God would do it again. Sometimes when they had a severe illness or children who were sick even unto death or they lost their job or they were being persecuted for their faith, they realized God was doing this for their good, chastising them out of love. J.C. Ryle writes, By affliction he teaches us many precious lessons, which without it we should never learn. By affliction he shows us our emptiness and weakness. By affliction he draws us to the throne of grace. By affliction, He purifies our affections. He weans us from the world. He makes us long for heaven. And we might say on that resurrection morning, it was good that I was afflicted. Contrast that great grace of our heavenly Father to that of earthly fathers. And that's exactly what the author to Hebrews does, doesn't he? He sets before us the truth of God's discipline. And then he takes us to how we as have earthly fathers who's done this for our good out of love. And he argues to the greater that God does it out of his love. He says it's a proof of your sonship. Because whom a father doesn't discipline their illegitimate children. They don't have a father. But God doesn't treat you like illegitimate children. He treats you as His son, His daughter. And even though earthly parents don't discipline 100% perfectly, and with purity in their own emotions, God, our Heavenly Father, disciplines perfectly. He's a perfect father. I was born to a single parent. My biological father, whom I've gotten to know at the age of 22, or 24 maybe, remember the exact age, but he he left my mom at that stage of his life. I was an illegitimate child. I didn't know when I was young. But I did know, after my mom married my adopted father, that he was my dad. 
I knew that. And I, did never, I never thought once about being an illegitimate child because I had a father who loved me and disciplined me for my good. And God knew what he was doing. My heavenly father brought that into my life so that I can identify with his great grace of taking us as his children who don't deserve it and taking us and disciplining us and being our perfect father. That's the power of fatherhood. What if I would have drawn back from my earthly father? The one who disciplined me. The one who trained me. The one who raised me. What if I would have drawn back? Since you're not my dad. I don't need to listen to you. I would have been fatherless. And if you draw back from God as our heavenly Father, ultimately, you are fatherless. That's the argument that the author to Hebrews is making. How shall we not much more readily, he says, be subject to the Father of spirits and live as His children under His care. Because He has His purpose. In the midst of discipline, in the midst of His training, that we would be exercised by it. And that's what we see in our and our second point, faith is exercised through fatherly discipline for spiritual profit. I want to remind you of the dangers of not being exercised first, though. And the first danger of not being exercised and not coming into subjection of the Father of spirits and live could be manifest in this way. Kind of like a stoic. Well, you know, God's in control of everything and, 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 you know, He's working it all together for good and I don't need to really worry about things in life. So, so I'm just going to take whatever God gives me and, and just kind of keep plodding on. That's a stoic. Someone who doesn't want to show emotion to anything and doesn't sense that this is really difficult. Did you imagine a Stoic that's training for a race? And he's just going out and running and not being really pressed on, but doesn't, doesn't understand the, the, the seriousness of it and the importance of it and, and, and the, what he really all has to do to run that race with endurance. He's just a Stoic. Oh, then there's a, the second challenge, and the way this can be manifest, is, is, is a type of self-pity. 
I don't deserve all of these challenges. And that leads to bitterness and enmity, even toward God. And a lot of questions in your mind. Why would God be doing this to me? It leads to self-pity. And that's not being exercised and trained by our Heavenly Father for spiritual profit. But the proper exercise is for spiritual growth. Notice verse 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. And then notice verse 10. For they indeed, that are earthly parents, when he's arguing from the lesser to the greater, chastened us for what seemed best to them, but God for our profit, that we may be partakers of His holiness. He has a purpose And we need to be exercising that in order to grow in godliness and holiness. He intends His discipline to be productive in our life. And that's why, even as we could study in in Men's Fellowship this past week from 1 Peter, we recognize that, don't we? And 1 Peter 1, verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God uses afflictions. He uses trials. He uses His disciplining hand to refine us, to purify us, to make us holy and godly. James says it's used to produce patience. And when we are approved, we receive a crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. It produces spiritual profit. And that first prophet is holiness. That we may become partakers of His holiness. That's God's great aim. Every father loves to see his son, I should qualify that, loves to see his son being like him, but in positive ways. Not in all the negative ways. When we see our sons doing the same things that we did that were wrong, that we hate that. But, but when we see our sons following some of those positive characteristics that we have in our life by God's grace, then we rejoice. How much more our Heavenly Father rejoices when He sees His children like Him, holy. As Peter says in 1 Peter 1, be holy even as I am holy, says the Lord. And so He chastens us and He trains us by disciplining us to be holy. Like God is holy. And what more could we want in this life is to be more like God, our Heavenly Father. Every son would want to be like his dad if he had a good dad. And we have a perfect father. Wouldn't we want to be like our Heavenly Father? Wouldn't we want to be subject to his exercise and his training and his discipline in life? To be more like him? And yet, we don't treat this as a stoic. Because there are those who seem to be far more exercised by trials. 
And sometimes you would call them modern-day Jobs or something, and sometimes they might even say, Lord, how holy are you making me? And they start to question, why so many afflictions? Isn't, isn't this enough? Their heart cries out to God. Isn't that what we're saying when we're saying Psalter 2.10? Questioning, vain questionings arise in our minds. That product of our infirmity, which is a reality. But there, as we come to understand who God is as our Heavenly Father, we realize He hasn't promised us an easy life through the Gospel. But He's promised that we would be His sons and His daughters, that we would be children of royalty. Royal children. Have you ever considered, wow, wouldn't it be quite something to be a child of the King or a child of Queen Elizabeth or something? Yeah, that would be terrible. (laughs) It really would. In my life, I'd have to learn how to eat just right and just the right clothes to wear all of the time and, and, and learn how to talk just right and, and because I'm representing a royal family. Every action that I have would be broadcast by the paparazzi and everything else. And I just think that's terrifying. But what about the children of the Most High Royalty? The children of God. Ought he not to be disciplining us? Those children of earthly royalty have to go through all kinds of courses and classes just so they know how to eat properly. Where to put their silverware and everything else. And it's like, well, man, that that drives me crazy. But, But God gives us his word, a royal word. And we are children of royalty. And he expects us to act like it. To be holy even as He is holy. And sometimes as He chisels off all of that weight that's on us and chisels off all that is unholy, it's painful. And yet, it's for our good. Because whom the Lord loves, He chastens. To make us holy. And He he doesn't do it just to make us holy. But he also does it to, for our good, that we would experience the peaceable fruit of righteousness. He says this in verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. It's painful. It's terrible. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It wouldn't even be normal if we thought, I want discipline because I love pain. Nobody here would say that. Nor would any father say, oh, I just want to give it and afflict my children with pain. No good father would say that. But you do recognize that when you do receive afflictions and trials and challenges, Heavenly spankings, as it were, that is for our good. Out of love and for what's best for us. 
And you realize the old saying that goes like this, no pain, no gain. And so we look for that peaceable fruit of righteousness. That harvest of righteousness, as it were, that comes through God's disciplining hand. Isn't that what you look for in the crops? Even as sometimes it seems to get too dry. And then finally we get a little rain and it gets too dry again. We need more rain. It's sometimes through those times where it's not raining that those roots go down and they persevere and endure much better even when the rains do come. And and sometimes the crops are even better than if you had just timely rains all of the time. You see, that fruit, that harvest of righteousness is no different in a child of God. Through the challenges of life, God is drawing them near to Him that He might know the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That it's not a righteousness that they produce in themselves, but that He clothes them with His righteousness. And they know that they're right with God by faith, through grace. And then, they also know His power to strengthen them in this life so that they might also live rightly in a day-to-day situation. And that brings a peace in their life, a peace with, with their friends, a peace in their family, a peace in their church, a peace in their society. And they can say, Shalom! Because of God's righteousness and how His righteousness has affected me in my life. Just as Isaiah says in Isaiah 32, the work of righteousness will be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever, my people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and quiet resting places. God's righteousness, His holiness, His godliness, and godlikeness. It's the desire of His children. Is that what you desire for a reward? If if you're not a child of God, a son, daughter of God, you don't have a desire for righteousness, to be right with God. Because you don't want that cost. You don't have a desire for holiness. You don't have a desire for godliness. You don't desire to be like God. And those hardships that come in people's lives, they do one of two things. When the trials come, those trials will either distract us from looking to Jesus wanting to go our own way, bitter against God, bitter against anything about God. Or they will draw us to God. They'll either push us out of the race and we drop out of the race of faith. Or they will give us endurance to run the race of faith. As we fix our eyes, as we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
the one who comes to reward the very exercise and training of our faith. And it only comes through hardships, through discipline. It doesn't come through an easy life. It comes through fighting, through the hard things in life with endurance by accepting the discipline of God, being subject to the Father of spirits and live. You see, I don't know what trial you're going through, what challenge you're going through, or what challenge you will go through. There's, there's, that, that's certain in every one of our lives. It's not about if you will go through trials and challenges. It's about when. But I want you to remember this quote. A quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He's whispering to us. When we're living our lives and everything seems to be going well, it's pretty easy to ignore a whisper. Even in our pleasures, He speaks to us in our conscience when we don't use those pleasures to His glory. So God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but He says this about pain. He shouts in our pain. He says this, it is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. Are you awake? Are are you ready for training? Are you ready for testing? Through God's discipline? As our heavenly Father who trains us, picks up the megaphone in our life, and calls us out, and he says, pick up the pace. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. I'm training you. As pilgrims and strangers here below, as homeless, as our back of our bulletin, the devotion says, as homeless people being prepared for mansions of glory. That's God's discipline. And we need endurance. And the only way we're going to experience endurance is by considering Jesus and looking to Him, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Lord, we give You thanks for Your fatherly discipline. Even as we began the call to worship from Psalm 73. It wasn't until we came into the house of God that we knew the seriousness of this race, this Christian race, and the discipline that it requires. And so be pleased, O Lord, to work in us, chiseling away all that would hinder us from You, and being like you, and conforming us to the glorious image of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who is holy and righteous, who could come into that upper room and say, peace be with you. Oh, Lord, all that the world has to offer brings us into bondage, but you have set before us peace, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And so, Lord, do what it takes to conform us to your image, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.